Hello, everyone. Welcome to Word with Dave Clay. Everyone probably knows all too well what it's like to have your heart broken. I could put a period there. And certainly the first major heartbreak. And with that, all the trauma that follows after and could be throughout your whole life. Uh, I've heard it called your first love. And probably all of us have experienced by now, if you listen to podcasts, no matter really what your age is, if you're listening to the podcast, you've lost something that you loved. And with that, wanting to make it even more, not that objects can't be personified or personalized, (laughs) but it's got something to do with another living, breathing, I'm going to say thing. I want it to be a person. (laughs) You can personify a dog or a cat or a goldfish and they're living and breathing. Plants. I think it's got some of the same aspect or at least some of the same sort of dynamic. The hidden shame of romantic heartbreak. Psychology Today, March, April of 2023. And the author is Mary C. Lamia, Ph.D., and she is a clinical psychologist in Marin County, California. The hidden shame of romantic heartbreak breakups invoke painful memories but also unexpected opportunities. Heartache is a way that we experience the separation of the self from the other. When when what feels like the unity of love with a partner is interrupted or ended, we can become acutely aware of our vulnerability. Such a separation is referred to as ambiguous loss, as a person who leaves still exists. Still, we experience grief not only for the individual we loved and, willingly or not, lost, but also often for the fantasy of who we thought or hoped they could be. Hidden shame often dominates in the aftermath of romantic loss, accompanied by a powerful longing to restore what has been lost. We generally consider shame to be an emotion of indignity and alienation, felt as an inner torment or sickness. However, it also signals the rupture of an interpersonal bond. Imagine you are taking a walk, thinking about a person you recently met for whom you feel an intense attraction. As you round the corner, you see that person in the distance, seemingly romantically engaged with someone else. Such moments of shame can leave us feeling defeated, alienated, and lacking in dignity or worth. The experience of inner shame after relationship loss may become so toxic that it is perceived as depression. We live through others and in them, 
So when a partner turns away from us, we may feel that we've become unseen, in a sense that we may believe we cease to be. Some theorists have used the term ego shock or cognitive shock to refer to a state of psychological paralysis resulting from powerful blows to our self-esteem or pride in which we are unable to think clearly and we have shame-related thoughts that lead us to imagine the worst and most damaged version of ourself. We have a capacity to recover from the wounds of heartache, but our memory system, which evolved to protect our future choices, may refuse to let us forget. Our brain actively engages with images of a remembered past and may even bring forward earlier unresolved experiences of shame that may have involved another crushing betrayal or recollections of other important personal relationships that had to be surrendered. Old wounds can leave us with an intolerance of uncertainty that enhances our vulnerability in seeking new love. Nevertheless, if we can recognize shame and our historical experience of it, we may be able to use moments when we experience a broken bond as unexpected opportunities to look inside, learn, and make ourselves different. Mary C. Lamia, Ph.D., clinical psychologist, Mary Marin County, California, Psychology Today, March, April, 2023, The Hidden Shame of Romantic Heartbreak, Breakups Invoke Painful Memories, but also Unexpected Opportunities. I can relate, I think, not only personally, professionally, not only professionally, but personally, to the notion of shame. It's a bit of a reach, though, because in my estimation, loss always includes grief. Uh, I know that grief might be a bit different in presentation, or at least historically has been different in presentation, than the article as it's speaking to, on today's podcast, of shame in Psychology Today, article in Psychology Today. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't, maybe it's just adding to grief. Maybe grief is just much more descriptive. Also, the article seems to suggest some continuance of the person, the individual we lost. And with that, then maybe forced to relive it every time either we see or encounter that person. Uh, smaller communities, <clears throat> smaller social networks may be a bit more risky because the likelihood of seeing that person in small towns, small communities, limited in the sense of contact with others, uh, where we're limited in, in contacting or being engaged with others outside of that most kind of intimate of groupings or groups, cohorts. Maybe more painful because the likelihood we may see them over and over again. And then maybe even so see them with others. I think that was always the peril that kind of went along with school romances. Especially early on, first loves. And this notion that everybody 
probably has a bit of that. There may be a few that get to marry their first loves and stay with them throughout their life and even to the end of their life. And we always seemingly look at that and say, oh, how wonderful. We met in school and I've loved her since I first saw her. And how old were you? I was like 13 or even some even say younger. I don't want to take anything away from that. That sounds beautiful. It sounds wonderful. However, I think most people know what it's like to fall head over heels, or at least think you have, as the saying would have gone, with someone else, only to find that it really isn't your person. <laughs> and, and maybe it was a bit more lust or much more physical attraction, if you don't like the word lust. Uh, or even so, lust. I'm going to go back to that. In psychological terms, uh, this is like the person I want to emulate or be like. Uh, crushes. You can have those with, I suppose, teachers, peers, uh, others, love interest. All of that is just trying on different personalities, <laughs> relating to different people. But most commonly, all of that is also coming back to you in someone else. I'm not sure that's bad. It probably, though, in my mind, explains why it is so painful, uh, whether that person continues to exist in your life or just two ships passing in the night, just a brief encounter, some enchanted evening, you will meet a stranger across a crowded room. South Pacific. But it's about you. And in that, if you really fall too deeply into the emotions of that or the psychology of that, emotions and thoughts included, and it begins to speak to gratification of you in those maybe more than just simply physical lust sort of ways. It's more the psychology of it. This is who I want to be. This is who I want to be with. This is what I think it should be. This is the narrative I'm starting to come up with. This is what I've had in life up to this point. This is what I want to be different. This is what I, in a fairy tale sort of way. That's why I mentioned South Pacific. This is really what I want to have happen in my life. The rest of my life, oh, wouldn't this be wonderful? Wouldn't this be marvelous? Awesome, fabulous. And then the bubble bursts. And you realize they're really not so much what you wanted them to be. They're really who they are. And it's going to take some reconciliation. Especially if you've gone deep into it and kind of created the scenario, the narrative, and inserted yourself into the storyline and already written the final chapter and the ending and this is what it looks like. And, you know, those are more traditional. I apologize. I tend to see things because of where I am in my life and more traditional sorts of terms. You can translate that, I'm sure, fairly easily to how you might want to write the story, including the dialect or the terms that you might want to use to describe the relationship relationship in more contemporary sort of context. 
But in the end, it all comes back to you wrote it. It may not have been real in that it may not have even included the other person and should it even have included the other person. They may be in fantasy too. Is there any way around that? No. That part or that place, the part that that stage plays in figuring out who you are and what you want in life is indispensable and valuable. I don't know that you could be psychologically sure of who you are until you experiment a bit with all those things. And hopefully enough, you get enough of a survey of what's available and what you want to be and what's out there that you can make that decision. Because the older you get, it is true, it's some of your own writing But it also includes, empirically so, experiences, circumstances, others' contributions to that. Besides choice, people end up breaking up or leaving people for all kinds of reasons, even beyond choice. Some die. Some move away. Some just don't have the resources. There's just some get sick. I mean, there's just all sorts of other variables empirically in the natural sort of realm of experience. Things, all representative scenarios and circumstances that transpire, take place, happen to you, that can create those same kind of results. Old age, death, again. That could be part of it. Nonetheless, there will always be a bit of a reconciliation of what you wanted it to be with what it is. And maybe that is essentially what makes most relationships last, endure, is that there's a need for constant reconciliation. Personal factors and factors that are beyond either your control or your significant other's control. Outside of the scope of what they might choose. Well, that is you can only choose what to do with things that happen to you. You can't always choose what happens to you. And when you do have a choice with what happens to you, it isn't always going to work out exactly the way you think it should. That's because things don't always work out exactly the way that we think they should, or creativity dictates that. It's a dynamic world. Anything could conceivably could happen. With that reconciliation, not only is there going to be loss, but your ego, your sense of self, what that has come to mean to you is going to be challenged. And you'll have to make adjustments. And the more personal it is, and we would think, first love, this type of significant relationship, or there's that heartbreak, as the article called it, um, You are very personally engaged. It's very personal to you. So why wouldn't that require a bit of work? Why wouldn't that include, was I not, questions like, was I not good enough? Were they not in love with me? Oh, I thought they loved me. Even that narcissism. Oh, they love me. I love them. I'm in love with myself. You know, that sounds awful as we speak of it as an adult. But 
for teenagers, it's a lot of narcissism. It's just, once more, it's a developmental sort of stage that we all go through. And even as adults, you know, it's not awful to think in those terms. You just don't want to live there. It's, I, my contention is we all are narcissists. If we have egos or we have identities, it's all about us. We just, some of us are more threatened than others and some of us aren't ready to give it up and grow up and some of us in that selfishness and self-indulgence don't want to concede and some of us never want to admit, maybe it's true, there was maybe something about me, but even so, it doesn't mean I'm evil or I'm bad or I'm sick. We put those judgments on ourselves because we've created such the fantasy and though I began, <laughs> began acknowledging, it doesn't have to be exclusive to relationships. It can be a lot of things. I tried to make it more personal or at least have a personification, personal dimension in living, <laughs> breathing things. But it could be in a more generic way, still living and breathing. Uh, even our ideals of who we are in our society, in our world, uh, Shame, guilt, we should own those. It's not mean, meaning that we should be responsible for everything because once more, I've already said it, just say it again, we can't control for everything, but we have to own our part in it and maybe there's some things that we've done or maybe there's some things that we want to and being able to look at it that way and apply it, the lens, look at ourselves through that lens of empiricism. Feedback, maybe we want to make some modifications, maybe we could do it better, maybe this would correct it. Again, there's going to be a lot of you in the narrative as much as someone else, but you'll have to share that with them them or their input into it. And Again, that's a constant <laughs> daily work of reconciliation. Uh, but in our society, in a more cultural societal sort of way, in a more worldview sort of way, I think we all are subject to that as well. Our world changes daily. Those that can stop for a moment and do a bit of objective introspection are probably going to have an advantage. Uh, hopefully, if you do that truly objectively, you'll be able to see yourself more so for what you are. Nobody possesses solely the only perspective or vantage point for objectivity. I, I know folks like me and including myself like to go back to science and evidence-based sort of research and all the theories of psychology that are out there that have scientific basis to them, have been studied, proven themselves valid and reliable. We look through that lens, we've got our best chance. But even so, there's going to always be the subjective coming from you, coming from your psychotherapist, those around you that you'll have to occasionally, if not frequently, screen for. But if you use that lens, you've probably got your best chance. But that really is what psychotherapy is about. It's just taking a moment with somebody that you believe has as close to an objective lens as humanly possible and is going to do the best they can to remove subjective elements so it's as pure... <laughs> It'll hopefully always be factual, but the interpretation of those facts. But they're still going to be culturally driven. 
there's influences beyond even once more the individual that's going to influence that. So nothing is immune to it. And I think that's why truth tends to be at times seen as relative. But it's the best thing we got going for us. Yet, that's why people come in. Because they get the additional assistance that affords. They're not left to having to do that all entirely within themselves. They don't have to count on their significant other who, might I remind you at this particular point, their person, who has already chosen to move on and may indeed have blamed them in a narcissistic extreme, narcissistic sort of dimension for all of their problems or confused them as possible with some others from the past (laughs) that have left that indelible mark of hurt and pain and maybe genuinely so has exercised a bit of manipulation, maybe even abuse, victimized them. All of those things play in, but to come into play, play into your final, I guess, appraisal of that or analysis or into the analysis of that. But if you come and sit down with someone such as myself, that's the type of thing we're going to do. And how long it takes or how much it takes, it's all entirely up to you and Me as the psychotherapist, maybe you put me first, and then you as the participant. But I don't think it's going to ever be a finished work because you're going to leave and you're going to just have to do this for yourself. But you'll get better maybe at doing that. And if you should need an occasional opportunity of reference for calibration purposes, (laughs) wait a minute, I kind of feel out in the weeds. Let me kind of go back. There's a continuity. I mean, you don't have to continually see your psychotherapist. You can do that episodically or periodically. Critical moments, strategic points, developmental stages, milestones. Milestones representative of the accomplishment of particular developmental stages. That it might be good to do that. And we may begin with, I feel kind of really bad about me. I feel bad that the ideal love is not there. I feel bad that the person doesn't love me that way. And now I'm feeling kind of like, well, how did I not do that? Did not see that? How did I not realize that and do that better? Uh, and work through some self-esteem <laughs> issues. They go along with it. But we all have those. And that's all part of, again, that's subjective, which is always going to have a element of narcissism. It's about you. (laughs) Egocentric. Ego. Egocentric. But we can rightly distribute that and balance that out. And I'm sure you're not going to just make it all about you. You're going to then take what you learn and apply it to, oh, well, that may be why, or that perspective. Oh, well, yeah, they said that a few times, the other persons. And I just didn't see it, didn't read it, didn't understand it. Too much in my own head, too much preoccupied with me at the time, didn't work out. And now I'm going to have to take what I've learned. And it's kind of helped me to redefine myself. Uh, I need to apply it in future relationships. And there'll never be a lack of relationship unless you decide you don't want a relationship. But diversity is good. Remember, diversity is not bad. It's just what you do with it. And that's why again, I offer the podcast. And hopefully I do that through some lens of objectivity. Although I try to confess, I've got bias, I've got prejudice, age, culture, maybe my 
my own particular orientation to any particular of my life at this time is all going to influence. But in the podcast, we try to go by as empirical study as possible. And psychology today affords us that. It's not actually going out and purchasing the hardcore, I'll call it journaling, or journal articles, as in journals and journaling in the scientific sort of community. But it's a good consolidation, and they're credible studies, and it's a bit of a easy-to-read synthesis. Why would we not want to use that, of that data and the findings? And with that, there's a diversity, speaking of diversity, of authors from that's why I try to always read you where they come from so that you'll know this is what they do this is where they come from you'll have context to what they say and maybe in that way understand a little bit more of why they're saying it quite the way they're saying it it's all legal it's all ethical it's all valuable as long as you're disclosing of that and we all can acknowledge that's a bit of bias too But hopefully the podcasts are as objective as humanly could be possible, and they give you a different perspective. Really, it's kind of the stuff of psychotherapy. So some ways you're getting a bit of at least the flavor of that, not directly psychotherapy. Couldn't do that in this context. It'd be wrong to do that or call it that. But you at least get to get into the mind of somebody who thinks the way that psychotherapists think. And maybe you can draw from that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, We're not making diagnoses and I'm not making direct recommendations. I'm just offering you data. But it is flavored with that mindset. This is what psychologists, psychological counselors, social workers, psychiatrists, this is what we think. This is how we think. This is the brain trust, so to speak, of those disciplines, of the current brain trust of the field of psychotherapy. I think that's helpful. If you find it helpful, I would always want to encourage you to come back because this is what we're going to do. We're going to try to take an article and what's been stated and kind of look at it and then see if there's any way to make in the most general basic of terms, because we're all human, relevance to your life. And should that be useful, then of course, you can join us on our next podcast You can also reach out to us at uh, the number that's always posted on your uh, platform that you get your podcast from, uh, 304-523-WORD-9673. The Word House at Frontier.com is an email, and TheWordHouse.com. You can find us on the web. And anything I can do to help you, I'd be glad to do that. Also, remember, Psychology Today... If you go in to Psychology Today, their website, and look for a provider directory, they have a directory of providers throughout the world, I suspect, uh, is the right way to say that, that you can access. And uh, certainly that could help you as well if you need to find somebody to talk to that's close to you, geographically so, and you would want to maybe survey, even if they're not geographically close to you, the specialties, it's all there. It's really nice. It's a good place to go to find some help. And, again, I truly do hope if, as I can be beneficial, if you want and you see it as beneficial, that you join us again for our next podcast of Word with Dave Clay. And in the meantime, I do want to wish you good mind health and 
uh, just want to say thanks.